Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Great. And I just swallowed my gum, so hopefully that won't be a distraction for you. Um, we're continuing in the book of Jude this morning, and um, as Randy said last week, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure it was last week, he said that it's better to hear words of warning than to listen to words of flattery. Does everybody remember that when he said that last week? A couple of you guys. Um, so, uh, what I'm here to do this morning is not just to tell everybody how good they're doing, um, but it is to uh, kind of pay attention to the words of warning that were given in the book of Jude. Okay, um, one of the things also last week that was said was that there is coming judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus will be returning soon. Um, and so, in light of that, uh, we have the word that is going to be preached to us this morning. So if you want to open up to Jude, uh, we're going to be in verses 17 through 19 this morning. Let me pray for us uh, before we get going. Father God, we ask this morning that you would be here with us in this place. Lord, that your spirit would... uh, would be here, Lord, that you would be speaking um, through your word to us, Father, that we would heed the warnings that you give us, Lord, that we would be encouraged, um, Father, that you would edify us uh, through your word today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. This is Jude, verses 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Jude begins with a call to remember. You must remember. And what he's talking about remembering is the words of Jesus and the apostles. Uh, Particularly today we're going to be looking at the words of Christ um, and the apostle Paul and the apostle John. Sorry, Peter. And he is saying, to remember the the words that have been spoken to you. Remember that they have been warning you to look out. Uh, Because, and really what the whole book of Jude is about is a big warning about these apostates, these false teachers. And these are not warnings that are like some hypothetical somewhere. They're not saying, you know, this hypothetically might happen. But what they're actually referring to is things that have happened, um, are happening, and will continue to happen. Uh, that we have false teachers all throughout the Old Testament, throughout Jesus' time, throughout the life of the early church, throughout church history up until now, and we will continue to have people in spiritual authority who are false teachers. Okay, he says to look out for scoffers and mockers, and they're making a mockery of the word of God. They're making a mockery of the people of God. So they live, up, they live as they please, stirring up division. They go along with the world, world lack the spirit. Um, yet somehow these people have been placed in positions of spiritual authority. Okay, you know, so we, there might be deacons or elders or pastors or youth leaders or Sunday school teachers that these people that have been placed in positions of spiritual authority can wind up leading us astray. And sometimes we go, wow, how could that possibly happen? How could we get a pastor that, is, that has such bad theology? How could they trick us? Okay, um, well, Jesus 
knew that this would happen. Uh, the apostles knew that this would happen. They knew that we'd have these counterfeits that were in positions of spiritual authority. But for us that are wondering, how is this possible? Sometimes we have to look at our own lives and go, you know what? I'm really good at deceiving myself sometimes. Sometimes I can deceive myself into thinking that something is true when it's not really true. Um, the most recent example for me, and this is not anything at all spiritual, um, but I'll share it anyways, is that um, I just got a new phone. And so, of course, the first thing you do when you buy a new phone is you have to pick out a new phone case. Of course. Um, and so I go to the store, and I'm picking out a case, and I'm looking, and I go to TJ Maxx because they've got all the cases really cheap there. Um, and I'm looking through, and everything's like flowers and butterflies and purple and zebra-striped. And I'm thinking, okay, who are they selling these cases to, right? Um, but there I am looking through all these cases, and I finally pick one out. And I'm looking at it. I'm not quite sure if it's like a manly case, you know? It's like if, if you ever send your husband to go pick out his own clothes, and you kind of look, eh. Well, I was looking at this case, and I'm actually I'm, I'm looking at it, and I needed like a woman, my wife, I needed her there with me to look at it and say, yes, this is good, pick that one. Um, and so instead, I took it out of the box, I put it on my phone. It was kind of hard to take off, so I just left it on my phone. I took the box up to the register. I paid for it. I brought it home, and I said, Megan, what do you think about this phone case? She says, oh, that's pretty. You know, it's, it's blue, and I thought maybe orange, but it's like pink, I guess. <laughs> and so she said, can I have that? And I said, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> um, so sometimes we can deceive ourselves, and I was like, well, it's $5, and I need to just need something, and everything else is a really bad option, right? Okay, and so we can easily deceive our own selves, and not just that, but a lot of times we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not, Okay, sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're good Christians because, you know, we grew up in a good Christian family or we went to a good Christian church or we've attended some good Christian services or we have a good Christian Bible. Um, All these different things that we do, we do our good Christian deeds. And so we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're these great Christians by all of these things that don't actually mean that we're Christians, right? The only thing that Scripture says makes us a Christian is by having faith in Christ, And that's it. And it's not any of those other things, and yet we can deceive ourselves so easily into thinking that we're something that we're not. So really, if it's that easy for us to fool ourselves, how hard is it going to be for someone else to trick us? So Jesus and Paul and Peter are saying, look out, beware. Watch out for these people. How susceptible are we to these people. And Jude is reminding us um, that this is very possible and that we must be prepared and we must exercise spiritual discernment. Okay, discernment is, um, I used to think it was one of my spiritual gifts. Okay, now I'm not quite as sure because of things like when I bought my phone case and I thought, you know. um, But spiritual discernment is a really vital um, thing in the life of the church. Um, and a lot of people will claim discernment, and my claim to that is I think we have a lot of people that are very cynical that wind up thinking that they're discerning. Okay? What, what is cynic, uh, cynicism is sort of the spirit of um, this generation, my generation almost right now. Um, and I don't want to mean to attack anybody personally, but I think it's uh, cynicism has been a result of unmet expectations and unrealistic expectations. What I mean by that is this, that um, people my age were growing up and we were told we were the best, we were the brightest, we were the smartest, we were the prettiest, we can do anything we want in all the world, and we didn't have to work at all for any of that, right? 
you would just, I, I'm just the best, and you don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. That's just you. Instead, what happens is that uh, when I come to find out that I'm not the best and the smartest and the brightest and the prettiest, um, you know, this whole time I've been spared from feeling any pain or having to do any work. And then uh, cynicism, I think, is a response to rejection. It's a response to feeling pain. It's a response to seeing relationships disintegrate and seeing politicians lie and seeing churches filled with hypocrites and seeing that everything that I was told, all of these things that I was spared from, gave me these unrealistic expectations of now I understand that I will never meet them. Okay, so cynicism is a result of these unrealistic, unmet expectations. And to a cynic, nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever good enough. If you take a cynic to, your, um, to the church Christmas play, they will watch it and say, oh, that's all right, but I've been to Broadway, so they stink. You know, these unrealistic expectations, you'll take them to your house and they see the refrigerator, the drawing from your daughter, like, why, that, why is that there? That's not any good. That's no masterpiece, right? To a cynic, nothing is ever good enough. And so a lot of people have, are cynical but they think that they're discerning and they'll listen to someone preach and go, that guy's no good, or that church is no good, or this thing is no good. But if you'll notice, all that the cynic will say is, that's no good. They never can actually point to anything that they like. Okay, that's cynicism. What is spiritual discernment? Spiritual discernment is when you can actually, with wisdom, point out things that are true and untrue. Okay, when you can use the word of God to identify things that are true and identify things that are untrue. It's a skill, and it's a gift that's vital to the life of a healthy church, or even to the healthy spiritual life. Because using discernment, we need to test the things that we hear. Actually, sometimes I was thinking about this. We need to test the things that, we're, that ourselves are thinking and that we are saying. Say, is this really line up with Scripture? He's saying to remember, watch out, beware. Beware the desire to teach good behavior. Okay, beware when all the lessons that you teach are things that are just common sense. Why do I need scripture if I can just have common sense and cliches, right? Um, Beware the desire to make incomplete analogies or analogies out of things that are not analogous. What I mean by that is uh, someone tried to explain the Trinity one time using three pieces of a computer. It didn't make any sense. And so with incomplete analogies or things that are not analogous, they keep going and explaining and explaining and trying to make it work and fit. And you're going, just give it up. You know, that's not a good analogy to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So watch out for those things. Beware the person who claims to have discovered the secret to living the spiritual life or the secret to the scriptures. You know, as of this point, we've had this whole complete book compiled for two millenniums. Okay, there's people that are much smarter than any of us that have studied this front to, well, except for maybe Rob Sheldon, but um, much smarter than almost everybody in this room have looked at this book. There are no secrets in here. What there are is instructions, things that Christ says to follow, things to be obedient to. Watch out for someone that says, I've discovered the secret that no one else has found out. Big red flag. That's discernment. Using discernment, we can discover, or not discover, we can identify these problems. But cynicism, like I said, it's the rejection of everything. Discernment is deciding between what's true 
and what's false. It's a spiritual gift. It's vital and necessary to the life of the church. So he says, watch out and, and be ready and use this gift of discernment that you have. Use the scripture that you have to, to, to help to buffet you, to, to strengthen you against these false teachers. Um, and he talks about the predictions of the apostles, and we're going to go three places. Uh, the first one is Matthew chapter 7. And this is actually not the predictions of the apostles. These are the words of Christ. Um, but again, this was another prediction of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Jesus is speaking. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, for you will recognize them by their fruits. As grapes gathered from thorn bushes, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So as Jesus is teaching us about false prophets, he's saying that beware the wolf in sheep's clothing. Again, they can deceive. They will become uh, spiritual authorities, even spiritual leaders. And they'll pass, they'll pass the eye test, but what Jesus is saying is that you'll know them by their fruit. Okay. Beware the, one, the person that says one thing and does another. Because it's easy to sound the part sometimes. And it's easy even to look the part. But it's really difficult to live out the words of God. Their fruit will show who they are. That's the one warning. This is from Christ. Okay, now turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is back a little ways, and sorry for sending you all over. After James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Okay, this is the warning of Peter. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation." Peter tells us that, that scoffers, that false teachers will come and they will actually mock the return of Christ. Okay, they will mock the return of Christ. They'll say, we can live the way that we want to because really there's not going to be any judgment in the end. That Christ is not actually going to return. And what, what scripture tells us is that he will return. And it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but it might be today. And what happens when it is today Jesus has promised that he will return. The second to last verse of the Bible in Revelation, Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. The Apostle John agrees and says, Yes, come, Lord Jesus. As an agreement, yes, please come now. Okay, a mark 
of a false apostle. Um, They will not agree with this, but they'll say that they want Jesus to come back, but they don't actually want Jesus to return, and they'll teach that he is not coming. And the reason why is because they enjoy this life too much. Okay, they enjoy life too much. They've bought into the pleasures of the world, hook, line, and sinker. And when you think about it, why would you really want Jesus to return when you already have everything you've ever wanted? If you're not looking forward to something better, why would you want Christ to come back and ruin what we have now? Do I really want Jesus to return? Again, this question is asked not just um, spiritual authorities, but to ask ourselves. Do I really want Jesus to return? Am I ready? And beware the believer that is not anxiously looking forward to the return of Christ. You know, a Christian does not identify with this place, this place being the world. In Philippians chapter 3 tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. This world is not our home. It's not some place that we were designed to live forever. A Christian is looking forward to a place that is infinitely better than anything we could see in this earth. First Corinthians chapter 2 says that no, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who loved him. It says our hearts can't even imagine how good heaven is going to be. We can't even begin to process this. You know, God is so good. Heaven is so wonderful that we can't even begin to understand what it's like. You know, heaven is going to be so much more than just unlimited free golf all the time. You know, heaven is just going to, is going to be so much more than Alabama winning every game 25 to nothing. Okay? It's going to be so much greater than that. In fact, it's going to be so good that God can't even let us see how good it's going to be because all we would want to do is be there right now. We're going to be overcome when we get to the presence of God because if we truly understood the goodness of God, then the return of Christ cannot come soon enough. God is going to be is so good that his arrival is going to mark the beginning of something that's going to be so much better than anything we could have been anticipating. If you were paying attention to the big game yesterday, which I doubt many of you were, um, Pittsburgh Pirates baseball were playing against Cincinnati Reds. And they won blowout fashion 8-3. to three, And because of that, this marks the return of playoff baseball in Pittsburgh from the, the first time in the last 21 years. Okay, the Pirates stunk. They're just terrible. You know, laughing stock on Jay Leno, just, just, the, just the butt of every joke was the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I've been waiting since I was eight years old to see the Pirates get back into the playoffs. Okay, I told my dad seven years ago when I moved to Alabama, when the Pirates have their first playoff game in PNC Park, which was built ten years ago, I want to be at that game. Okay, so my parents got me tickets to the wild card game for my birthday. So I'm driving tomorrow to go up to the game on Tuesday. Now, how excited am I for that? Pretty excited. There's a chance, though, that they could lose, and then that's it. And then there's this, this buildup, all for nothing. So if they lose, and you see me here Thursday, I'm probably not going to want to talk to you very much. Right? <laughs> It'll be a big buildup, and then big disappointment. But heaven's not going to be like that at all. It's going to be something where we anticipate it and we look forward to it. And we're trying to think, how good could it possibly be? And then it finally gets there, and it's going to blow our expectations out of the water. There's nothing that we can imagine. Uh, We can't overestimate the goodness of God. It's impossible. 
you know, good strategy for, for um, being a good person is actually under-promising and over-delivering. Over okay? If you never want to let someone down, never promise them something big and always over-deliver. For God, he can't even oversell this. Okay, he cannot oversell the goodness of heaven, and that's how awesome it's going to be. But beware the Christian leader that's not looking forward to the return of Christ. If we've bought into the world hook, line, and sinker, and we can't even imagine anything better than our own lives, that's a warning sign. Finally, turn to Acts chapter 20. So since we have Jesus, we have the words of Peter, and now this is the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Acts chapter 20, we're going to be verse 28 to 30. Paul says, Pay careful attention then to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Again, Paul's, notice what Paul says here in, in 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock is, is the warning. Again, how easily we can be deceived, how easily we can start thinking something that doesn't align up with Scripture. How easily we can be led astray and then allow others to follow us. Okay, that's the real danger for someone in spiritual authority, is that if I get off track, then other people will follow me in error. So using our spiritual gift of discernment to make sure that what we are saying aligns up with what God is saying. So we have all these things, and finally, there's one more uh, beware, and it's in, um, back in Jude 19. He says, to watch out for these scoffers will be devoid of the spirit, or they will lack the spirit. Okay, you know, knowing the truth, having good theology, having the right beliefs is useless without the spirit of God. Okay, it's useless without the spirit of God. If you've been following along, this one would be a spiritless Christian is an oxymoron. Okay, it's an oxymoron. It's, it's something that can't happen. Or a spiritless Christian is useless. It's useless. You know, we can know and believe all the right things, but if we do not have the spirit, then we're going to be useless. Jesus said that the time will come when people worship me um, in spirit and in truth. Okay, true worshipers of the Lord will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what does the life of the Spirit look like? Turn with me now to Romans 14. This is the last place we're going to go. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. This uh, 14.17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What are the marks of the Spirit? These are righteousness and peace and joy. Your righteousness is holiness. It's obedience. Um, The believer who has the Spirit of God will desire to be obedient to God. There will be a desire to want to obey the Lord. They will want to be good. It will be second nature. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to the sheep and the goats. 
And he's speaking to these people, and they don't even realize that what they have done is, is being done to God. These people that have had faith in Christ, and they're serving others, and that they didn't even understand because it was so second nature to them, to the ones that were living in faith. Okay, Righteousness, holiness, um, is a mark of the Spirit-filled believer, and it's a desire to want to be obedient to God. Okay, We can't make ourselves want to be righteous. But if we have the Spirit, the Spirit will be at work in us. He'll make it happen without us even realizing it. And then when we sin, we'll be made aware of our sin by the Spirit. It will be calling it out to us. Um, helps us to see becoming guilty um, and so that we live with that guilt until we repent as a believer. The Spirit is at work in us, making us righteous. This is one mark of the Spirit of God. The second one is peace. The next mark is peace. Peace of mind, peace from conflict. Uh, we see these are in direct um, opposition to what he had talked about before, where it said that, that those who came as false teachers would be divisive. They would come stirring up division. They would come in and separate the flock. Um, the Holy Spirit brings us peace. It brings us peace to, to come together as believers. Peace to look at someone else's spiritual life and not to become envious or jealous of them. Um, not to look at the next church down the street and see them growing and think, man, I wish those people weren't doing that. I wish that was us. No, the, the Christian that's filled with the Spirit is rejoicing in that and wants to see peace among believers and also peace in their life. The person with the Spirit will be assured of their salvation. They will know with certainty that they belong to God. The believer that has the Spirit will feel, um, not always feel it, but they can be certain and they can know that they're a part of God's family, that nothing can tear them away from the goodness of God. Finally, this is my last thing. Um, our last thing this morning, the spirit-filled believer will have joy. Again, joy is the opposite of, of the cynic. Okay, and it's, it's rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's enjoying the fellowship of God. It's, it's even being happy. Okay, beware the Christian that's never happy. There's, there's unspeakable joy to be found in Christ, to, be, to go from death to life, to go from sin to to salvation, and, the, and the, the spirit-filled Christian will exhibit joy. And it's not some kind of like fake happiness. You know, when you ask someone how they're doing, and they say, great. You know, but really they just like had a discussion with their wife on the way out the door. They just stepped in dog poop. You know, they, their car hit some other car out in the thing. They're having this terrible time. They haven't had their coffee yet. And you have, how are you doing? Great. You know, that's not the life of a Christian. It's not this false joy. It's real joy. It's being happy. It's delighting in the Lord for who he is, regardless of the present circumstances. Okay, you're not always going to be happy, happy, happy. But you will be happy. You're going to be filled with joy. Someone with true joys, they can either be infectious, or to the cynic, they're actually unbearable. Okay, sometimes if I'm feeling cynical and I'm around someone that's happy, I just want to punch them in the face. Because I don't want to hear about how great your day is going, right? Um, but they can be infectious. To other spiritful believers, we get around people that are filled with joy and we just want to be just like them because of the joy that they have in their life. The scoffer, they lack joy. They create division. They stir up controversy. They don't like people. They're generally unhappy and miserable. And yet so many of these people wind up as pastors. We go, oh man, how's that happen? Some of them wind up as Sunday school teachers or youth leaders or youth pastors and you know, they're just so beaten down with cynicism and all these other things and at the end they're just leading people astray. And the Bible says, use your spiritual gift of discernment to watch out. Make sure you do not become one of these. Make sure you do not fall under the teaching of one of these but instead be full of the Spirit. 
Be righteous. Have peace and have joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, I ask that you would use it. Use the spirit to convict us of ways that, Father, maybe we have fallen under false teaching. God, maybe we have, have, have believed some, some lies in our own life. God, maybe we believe something that other than the cross of Jesus Christ can save our souls. Or maybe we have fallen into a lie in regards to something else. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the discernment that we need. Lord, that we would test and make sure everything aligns to your word and to your will. Father, thank you for the ways that you work in our lives. Thank you for the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. That you offer freely to all. We pray this in his name. Amen.